Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. Chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Let's pray. Let's pray um, for Rob as he comes to speak to us, and let's also pray for the children um, before they go out with Tom. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we can come together to hear your word. I thank you that we know that your word speaks truth. Truth into our lives, truth into our hearts, that meets us where we are. I pray, Lord, that we would desire to grow in knowledge and wisdom of you today as we listen to your words. And I pray that the children would desire this as well. I ask that you would be speaking through Rob and Tom as they teach us and the children. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, well, uh, we had that reading, uh, which is the last little bit of the Old Testament, uh, the last few words, um, in fact, of the Old Testament. And today we're going into the New Testament. So I might get a bit more applause, a bit more excitement. Today we're going into the New Testament. Yeah! That means we're over, well over halfway uh, through our Bible overview. Uh, so that's great. Um, we've been seeing, haven't we, that the Bible uh, may have these two major sections, the Old and the New Testament, but really they're one story. They belong together. They are one story. You can't understand the story if you don't have both major parts. Um, And uh, it's a true story of God's plan for a people who will have the blessing of life with him under his good rule through his forever king who will reign forever. Um, Let's have a look at where we've got to in our Bible overview um, just so we remember. Uh, So, so far God established that kingdom And mankind were evicted from the garden. God promised that one day he would rebuild the kingdom through Abraham's generation, uh, descendants. He's shown previews of his forever kingdom uh, in the land of Canaan and the kings, David and Solomon in particular. Um, Last week we saw how he sent the prophets at a time when there was a spiritual decline. People going away from God. And he spoke of their need of one who would come, who would deal with sin, pay for sin, and bring them back. Um, so we're, we're at that point now. We're, we're well over halfway. Uh, we're at the New Testament. And um, this uh, bit of the story um, is chronologically 400 years after those words we just read in Malachi. The last bit of prophecy that the people Um, got from God Um, and then there's this period of silence for 400 years and then there's the birth of Christ and what the gospel writers do is they record 
mostly the three years of Jesus' ministry. They also record the events surrounding Jesus' birth and in the lead up to his birth. And what we're going to do today is we're just going to look at what they say. Because what they say their Gospels are about in the first couple of verses of their Gospels, in, in, in the very first sentence of their Gospel, is going to set the whole tone for what they're going to tell us in their Gospel. So that's what we're going to do this, this evening. We're going to look at how each of them begin their Gospels, because an introduction is usually quite important. It sets the tone for what is to come. Um, so have your Bibles open, and we're going to look at Matthew 1, verse 1. You got it? Mark 1, verse 1. Luke verse 1, 1, verse 1, and John uh, uh, 1, verse... I think it's a bit later on, but... Okay, everyone there? Great. Uh, Matthew is... Uh, sort of two-thirds of the way through the Bible and um, yeah usually there's this blank page in between the Old and New Testament but you can rip that out because it's, it's not actually God's word um, to have a gap in between the two although it does represent the silence so there you go you can keep it in there if you want um, so let's have a look at these verses together how do they begin their gospels um, okay this is, this is me in a moment I'll get to this in a second How do they begin their Gospels? Matthew 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, we've been doing a Bible overview. So those kind of names should be quite important. It should sort of be quite familiar to us by now. Uh, The genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of... Abraham. He's not just saying that as a sort of general term. I'm I'm not mentioning this this because I have to or because it's just a random fact. He's saying that this is continuity. This is the one who is fulfilling the promises. Through David, through Abraham. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Uh, Next up, uh, Mark 1 verse 1. says, The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ the son of God it is written in Isaiah the prophet I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way the voice of one calling in the desert prepare the way for the Lord make straight paths for him again this is the good news the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ the son of God and it was written by the prophets there will be one who would come we read about him didn't we in Malachi one who would come to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. A voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Go over to Luke 1 verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished, among us, I write to you, Theophilus, this orderly account. The things that have been accomplished among us, fulfilled. So Luke as well is saying, look, this is a fulfillment. Jesus is, what I'm about to write about is what has been fulfilled. That's how he describes it. Um, so what we get with those three, if we just took, took those three, um, 
Obviously, the message that they have is that this is a significant moment. They're saying that something significant is happening. And that the time is now. The promise is being fulfilled. That's what they're saying is happening. And if we just took those three examples, we'd say, actually, they're saying that the promise of one who would be God's people is being fulfilled. Because the perfect son, the perfect person, who would do what Adam didn't do, failed to do, what Israel failed to do, and what is being promised and has been promised through these uh, promises that God gave, it has come. So it's, it's, it's that Jesus is God's people. He is the new and true humanity. And in him we can be that new humanity too. He can bring us to be part of God's people. But Jesus isn't just perfectly human. He was God. And that's what we, we see from John's introduction which is quite different. If you look at the start of John's Gospel, John 1 verse 1, you see that it does go way back, but it goes even further back than the other Gospel writers. It goes back to creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not, was not anything that was made made that was made and then we're just going to look down at verse 14 because it's an important verse it says the word became flesh so the same word that John has been describing as being active in creation that everything was made through the word the same word became flesh and dwelt among us so we're in no uh, confusion over to what, what John means he means that Jesus the incarnate son is the eternal God. He is the eternal God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, actually, that word dwelt, it means tabernacle. It's, it's the word for tabernacle. He tabernacled with us. Now, again, with our gospel over, uh, Bible overview, why is that a significant thing? Why is it significant? Yeah, so the tabernacle was how God dwelt among his people in, in, in the wilderness. They had, they, they had his presence amongst them, amidst, in their midst. And that was fulfilled even more in the temple. And Jesus, this is, John is saying, the word became flesh, is God with us. He's tab a tabernacle, the meeting place between God and man. So he is God in the flesh. So God's presence and if we think back to our, how the Bible overview started with us being uh, cast out of God's presence and losing that and all the blessings that we, you know, of living with God. John is saying, look, we're, we're going to, with the coming of Jesus, all of that comes back. He is the, the fulfillment of that. He's not just God's people, his true son, what Israel could not be, but he is also the true God. Here. He is God's presence on earth. And that's actually God's presence is what all the other parts of the promise hinged upon, isn't it? Because you can't be, enjoy the blessing of living under God's rule if he's not there. But he is with us in the person of Jesus. Uh, one writer says this, In Christ, God himself has drawn near to us. Indeed, 
it's not just John who's saying it. He starts off with his gospel like that. But Matthew's gospel, you get um, the angel telling Mary, you will call him name Emmanuel. And Ma- Matthew can't help but tell us what Emmanuel means, which is God with us. Let's go back to that weird old picture of me. Um, I'm actually not talking to anyone there. I'm just sort of music- looking into the distance. But um, I'm one of those people that uh, I get quite distracted. I get quite engrossed in conversations. And if you meet me at a, a party or a function or where, whatever it is and you want to get my attention, you have to sort of like tell me three times. Rob, Rob, Rob. Now. Rob, we need to go now. And then the third time, maybe. Fourth time, maybe. Um, I'm, I'm pretty engrossed in conversations. And I need more than once to, to grab my attention that the time is now. And uh, maybe you're a bit like that. Maybe punctuality isn't your finest point, um, and, and you need that. But how much, more, how much more urgent would it sound if each of those people coming in were different people? It's not just Hannah saying, honey, we need to leave. But it's, it's then Joseph coming in and saying, Rob, we need to go now. And then someone else coming in and saying, now. I, I think I'd get the sense of urgency a lot quicker. Three different people four, five, six different people all saying the same thing now. The time is now. You'd sit up and listen, wouldn't you? And that's what we have in the Gospels. We have the Gospel writers themselves saying the time is now. And what's more than that, we have each of the people in the narrative, whenever they speak, as soon as they open their mouths, and we're going to look at that in just a moment, they say, the time is now. Something is happening. God's promises are being fulfilled. Uh, So we're just going to track that uh, through Luke's Gospel. So if you turn with me, um, we are at the end of Luke's Gospel at the start of John. But let's go back to Luke chapter 1. Just look down with me at verse 32 to 33 in chapter 1. He will be great... And will be called son of the most high. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called holy. The son of God. So the angel is saying that Jesus is the son to be born of to her. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, the one promised. Who would be David's descendant, who will reign forever. Uh, We then get um, a few, few verses down. Mary herself saying it um, in, if we're just going to read the end of what she says in 54 to 55 but she starts off her song saying my spirit rejoices in God my saviour and then verse 54 to 55 he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever so Mary saying it uh, Zechariah Um, let's read uh, 68 down to 74 
Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days so we have the angel saying he's a saviour he's here we have uh, Zechariah saying he's a saviour we have Mary herself saying he's a saviour and the last one um, if you look down with me um, Simeon uh, just over the page in my bible but chapter 2 verses 29 to 30 Chapter 2, verses 29 to 30. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And then Anna, in verses, verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, she, Anna, began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And then John the Baptist, uh, if you want to look down with me, um, at verse 16 of chapter 3. John answered them saying, I baptise you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff... He will burn with unquenchable fire. So we have all these people saying the same thing. It's not just one person tapping you on the shoulder saying the time is now. It's, it's, it's six, seven, in fact everyone in the early parts of the gospel saying the time is now. This is the fulfillment of what God has been promising. And, and he's here. The king is here. Salvation is here. In this one man. And it's Jesus saying it. So if you look down with me at uh, chapter 4 verse 18. The audacity of Jesus. He gets up in the synagogue on a Sabbath day. And he stands up and he reads Isaiah. And he reads verse 18 and 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Verse 21. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The time is fulfilled, is what he says in Mark 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom has come. The king has come. The king is here. And with it, there's a necessary gospel response, which we're going to look at in just a moment. But he says, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Um, But we're just going to look at his kingdom lasting forever. Um, his kingdom will never end and what is the nature of Jesus' kingdom we see through 
his life, don't we? We see through the miracles. And Jesus is pulling back the curtain on what his kingdom in this world is going to look like. And what kind of kingdom is it? Come on, shout some things out. Most familiar part of the Bible. I'm sure we can do this together. What's his kingdom look like? What does it look like? What does his kingdom look like? No death. Okay, where do we see that? In the Gospels, where do we see that? Thank you. You preached on it, so you should know. Um, Anyone else? Sorry? Sorry? Jairus' daughter, so no sickness. Or she died as well, didn't she? He raised her, yeah, thank you. What else does it look like? Sorry? Yeah, himself come back to life. So we've done the death thing, what else? What did you say? Blind people seeing. Sickness, no more. Banished. Relationships restored. Broken bodies fixed. That's the kingdom of Jesus. That's what his kingdom is like. All of the things that went wrong at at Eden because of the, the sin and the curse have been reversed with his coming. So the broken bodies are made new. Broken relationships are fixed. And this broken world is restored. Peace with God and peace with one another. It is a wonderful kingdom. And I think actually... We get a bit dull to it, don't we, as Christians? I think we probably think, oh yeah, same old, same old. But I don't think the parents of the kids, all those kids in that nursery in Thailand, would be thinking that. I don't think they would be thinking that. I think they'd be thinking, if someone could give me a promise of a kingdom where there will be no death, no pain. One of the mums herself says, I can, I'm full of pain. That's how she described her situation following that shooting in a, in a, a toddler nursery, preschool nursery. I'm full of pain. And Jesus is rolling back all of that. And he's saying, this is the kingdom. This is my kingdom. And this, more than that, this is my, the kingdom that I am dying so that you can be part of forever. Eternally. It's not a rollover kind of moment. It's not a, I'll take it or leave it kind of moment. It's like, wow. And the best thing of all, it will never end. And why? Because Jesus was raised from the grave. So if you want to turn with me in Luke chapter 24, we're just jumping, we're doing the start and the end of Luke's gospel. Luke 24, verse 36 to 49. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones that you, as, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus is it written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. King forever. He didn't stay dead. He came back from the grave. And he will die never again. And he has life eternal. And so his kingdom is not just as good as he shows it to be, but it will always be that good. And that's the kingdom that he is bringing us into if we put our trust in him. And in his death alone is the only thing that can get us there. Then we can be in that kingdom too. Uh, All of the gospel writers are clear. Jesus' resurrection is a fulfilment of what was promised to David and to Daniel of a king who would reign forever. The king is here. The king has come. And he's the eternal king. And his kingdom is eternal. Uh, What does this mean for us? Uh, Well, without a doubt, Jesus is one of the old is the one that the Old Testament and the promises are fulfilled in. It's not just the gospel writers themselves who make that point, but each of the people who were there at Jesus' arrival are saying it too. What does it mean for you and for me? It means it's good news. It's what Jesus says, isn't it? Time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. It's good news. It is good, is it not? That the one who can save has come. That through his death, the only way that sins could be forgiven, we who are outside of his kingdom naturally can be brought in. The response when God has allowed anyone to see that, that is good, is that they repent. So that's the other side, isn't it? That our response, if we really have, been come, to, has, have come to see that this kingdom is the true kingdom, that Jesus is the true king, what will the response look like? It will, it will look like repentance. What is repentance? It's not saying sorry. It's turning from something to Jesus. It's turning from sin to life with him. It's turning from being our own king to saying Jesus is my king. What will that look like? Well, for some people, it will look like turning from a sexual relationship that God is not pleased with. Turning to him will look like embracing his good plan in creation for a man and a woman. A sexual union only in marriage. That's what it will look like for some people. For some people, it will look like turning from a dishonest means of gain, like, you know, swindling people in order to get by it will look like turning from that to trust that God is your father who can provide for you and will provide for you for other people it will mean laying down the pursuit of your own glory that's what we're living for often isn't it our own glory I want other people to say wow aren't they great and yet 
Repentance will look like turning from that life to living for God and his glory. Turning from something to life with him. For some people it would look like laying down love for myself and taking up love for others in every way and yet supremely in sharing the good news, the hope that we have in him. That is loving others, is it not? So in summary, we have seen that the kingdom of Jesus has come. The king is here. Repent and believe the good news. And in those who have received the kingdom of Jesus, something will be laid down. You'll give something up in order to enter that kingdom. But you you won't see it as giving it away. You won't see it as loss. Because you'll realize that Everything that Jesus' kingdom is, everything that he is, far outweighs it. It's just a no-brainer, isn't it? Everything that I could have to give up in this life for eternity with him, for safety from a certain and eternal judgment, well, that's got to be worth it, isn't it? Jesus says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What good is it to gain the whole world and yet lose your soul? And Jesus is there saying, your soul is safe with me. Your soul is safe forever with me. Because of what I've done. Because I am the eternal king. And death cannot stop me. And I paid for your sin in full. Um, So I'm going to give you just a moment to consider what that one thing might be for you. What is that one thing that in order to live with Jesus as your king, you're going to have to say no. You're going to have to say, I'm not, I'm not living like that anymore. What is that one thing? I'm just going to give you a moment to think about that. Um, and I will too. And then we're going to pray. I'll leave you to do that just now. Father God, uh, your son Jesus is our rightful and good king. Thank you for revealing him.
as your forever king. Thank you for revealing that his kingdom is uh, where sin and death are no more. Where suffering and pain are no more. Where relationship with you and relationship with others that is good and pleasing is possible and doesn't end. And we're sorry that we have been living lives that are just either negligent of that or disinterested in that or actively against what you're about and what your king is about. And thank you that you call us You give us the gospel announcement, the king is here, the king has come. But you also give us the gospel call, repent and believe the good news. Pray you'd help us to do that today, that you'd help us to repent, to lay down sin, to take up life with you forever. And to believe the good news, that this is good news for us. This is good news for our families. This is good news for our neighbourhoods. This is good news for our city. And this is good news for the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Next week we're going to be looking at the, the kingdom proclaimed. And you might be thinking, well, Jesus came, his kingdom was amazing. So why... Why the delay? Why is it? Why did he not just sign and seal everything there and then? Well, it's because God's promise was that the nations would be brought in. At the moment, God's kingdom is in the person of Jesus in that part of the world, in Israel. And we're going to see how God's promise to fulfill that good news going to all nations and bringing in all nations is fulfilled um, in, in next week as we see the gospel proclaimed. Uh, through the church. Thank you.